It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Six point five percent was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you, if you look at the round by round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like what a time to be alive! I- Talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust. This is the C Four Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. I am Chris Adelaide Force, joined virtually, as always, by the ever-smitten Anna Forsyth, A4 Scythe 03. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Chris. Um, yeah. Smitten is a good way to describe me right now. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a segue into who will be joining us momentarily on the show. Uh, we'll pull them in. Um, I, I we've sort of alluded to it on on social a little bit in C4 Discord. Hey, we've got a another former Canuck lined up. What's interesting is that when we were sort of floating the idea of a former Canuck joining us in the lead up to the episode with Aaron Volpatti, which again, if you have not listened to that episode, go back two weeks, you'll listen to it. But this guest was, I think the first name thrown out as a possibility because of who he is to you. Yeah. Um, So props to Chris on this one because um, he's the one that suggested and said, hey, I noticed this person's DMs are open. Why don't you ask? And I did. And yeah, great. We were blessed, honored, whatever, um, Anisman, whatever, to join, be joined by Frankie Corrado, former Canucks defenseman. Um, yeah, someone I've been a champion of whilst he played in Vancouver. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. But yeah. That's yeah. very exciting. Yeah, and he, he will be sliding in momentarily um, to, to join us. Uh, I'm now thinking, though, does he want us to say that his quote-unquote DMs are open? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> oh, well, that cat is out of the bag. Not only listeners of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast. Ones. I mean, it's, it's a Twitter thing. Um, and for those that don't know, it's not like you can slide into the DMs. They're, it's message requests if you don't follow someone or they follow you. Um, I mean, I, you can slide into my DMs if you want. My requests are open and I get spam all the time. Yeah, so do we at C4. We get very like odd spam, by the way. But hey, do you anyway. want a job? <laughs> please. Yeah. please. Um, but, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, you know, Frank join us. Um, he is going to talk to us about his career. Um, and then we, we get into the, the Canucks near the end, like the current Canucks. Do you want to stick around for that? Um, speaking of the current Canucks, um, there's good <laughs> games and there's, yeah, there's I, it not wasn't good games. All, it wasn't all terrible. Um, so as I mentioned on last week's show, I went to both games. Um, one was mm-hmm. more fun than the other. 
I had fun at both, but in terms of the actual hockey, like, I mean, the Juice retirement game, that was your hockey, Chris. That was old school. Oh, loved it. I mean, anytime. Yeah, it was like, you know, horrible night if you happen to be a goaltender with the stats somehow built into your contract. (laughs) Boy, did I love it. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of, I've often talked about, like, I wonder how Demko feels watching the team play better in front of um, Spencer Martin than they ever do in front of him. But I'm just not really sure that that happened um, in the Anaheim game. But um, luckily they scored enough. It was it was three two going into the third period. Arguably, it wasn't a Chris Golden style hockey game until the third period rolled around. At which point, there were eight goals. Eight. Yeah, that was wild. Honestly, like I was that last goal. I just thought, there's no way they're going to score again, are they? Yeah, no, they are. Well, Bo Horvat needs himself a deal. Uh, of course, he's going to get a, a couple of goals in the course of the game. In fact, um, he wasn't the only one with multi goals because uh, Manko got himself a hattie. So that's pretty cool. Young kid getting all the hats thrown on the ice. And it was to the point where people were in such a celebratory mood that once they got all the hats on the ice, more hats had to get thrown on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was sat right at the top, like literally like a couple of seats down from Murph. So we had a quick chat with Murph beforehand. Um, but yeah, you know, we were not anywhere close to hat throwing distance, even if I did have one, but, um, I mean, good for Kuzmenko. He seems like tries really hard, happy, go lucky guy. Let's see how long that lasts in Vancouver, but mm-hmm. at least he doesn't speak English that well. So maybe he doesn't see Canucks Twitter at its worst yet. Yeah. Anywho, um, let's take ourselves a, a, a quick break here to bring uh, Frank Corrado into the show. And as we mentioned off the hop, we've got a very special guest joining us today. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I'm kind of freaking out right now, but um, yeah, we are honored to be joined by Frank Corrado. So Frank, welcome. Um, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's nice to uh, nice to get out on the Canucks platforms here and talk a little Canucks. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah. Um, so first question is going to be, Canucks fans kind of know you as Frankie, and when you left, it seemed like you were more mature. You went as Frank, and was that a personal decision to sort of distance yourself from us, or...? No, it had nothing to do with Vancouver. Actually, it was, it was, I think we, we kind of decided, well, I don't know why I say we, I kind of decided while I was playing for the Canucks that, uh, Frankie seems a, a little like a, a kid. Right. So to, to sound more adult like, I was going to go with Frank. And, um, both of them are not my real name, as I've said on, on multiple occasions on multiple different shows. My real name is actually Francesco. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really have a preference. People call me both. I think now doing some media work, I'm doing the same kind of juggling act as far as is it going to be Frankie? Is it going to be Frank? What sounds better? But um, it's all good for me okay. either way. Awesome. Well, let's just start off um, like growing up in the sort of Toronto area, growing up a Leafs fan. Um, what was your kind of like first steps into hockey? Like, obviously, you're from an Italian Canadian family, but like, was your family really yeah. pushing you into hockey or you kind of did it all by yourself? No, no, not at all. We, we didn't like, we didn't have any kind of uh, push to, to get into hockey. I, I loved it. I, I loved watching hockey and I really, really uh, took to watching the Leafs and, and Matt Sundin was kind of like my, my childhood hero as far as hockey players go. And I think I got to the, to around the age of, you know, six, five or six. And I started kind of telling my dad, I'd, I'd love to play hockey. And, um, it would have been halfway through the winter at that point. So, you know, you can't just enroll, right. You have to wait for the next season to go by. So he said, okay, well, why don't we get out onto the pond and we'll get you some skates and we'll, we'll play some hockey out there. And then if you really want to do it, you can play house league next year. So, um, we had a great summer out, out on the pond. We had some friends that, that would join us. We'd be clear in the snow and, um, those are some of the first memories that I have of, of playing hockey as a kid. And then, you know, the next, next year came around 
line up is probably in the summer because the season's going to start in September and uh, played house league there and just outside of Toronto and, and loved it. Like loved going to the rink, always wanted to go, always wanted to do extra. And, and I think that kind of, that kind of followed me through my whole career. I, I can't remember a, a day where I didn't want to go to the rink or go to the gym or, you know, just, just be playing hockey. Yeah. Sounds very idyllic sort of Ontario kid um, growing up. Like into your OHL career, just wondering what kind of game were you playing and like how would you see yourself as a player? And was it like, were you building up to be drafted or was that kind of not on your radar? Yeah. Well, I was, I would say like as, as a youngster, I was one of the taller kids for a little bit there. And then everyone kind of hit their growth spurt and I kind of lagged behind a little bit. So I got cut from a couple teams and then. Um, right before, right before minor midget, I had this summer where I shot up, I don't know, three or four, who knows, maybe five inches in height. And, uh, it was the first summer I even got into a gym and started working out. And I came back into that minor midget season and I was way faster than I remembered. And early on into that season, I kind of realized like, wow, I can, I can take the puck here and kind of wheel with it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, no one seems to be catching me, which was awesome. Um, and, and that season, I, I kind of felt like I really turned into this, this puck moving defenseman, very offensive minded guy. And I always had a little bit of, um, you know, I always cared about playing defense. I always cared about penalty killing and, and being that, that guy on the ice with in the last minute of play. And, um, I think I realized when I got to the OHL that I wasn't going to be able to be a purely offensive guy. I think I needed to be a defensive-minded guy first who can move the puck pretty well and chip in offensively. And, um, and I think you see a lot of times players are not one-dimensional, but there's one thing they do really, really yeah. well, right? And it's it's very, very identifiable for them. I think for me, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that one thing that I did really, really well. I tried to make myself really well-rounded. And, you know, you could argue that not having one um, you know, one really identifiable trait may, may have held me back. But at the same time, if I wasn't as well-rounded, if I didn't try and have a complete game, I might not have even got to the point that I got. So, you know, I'm not sure what the right answer is there, but, um, that was, that was kind of how my, my evolution as a player was. Yeah. I mean, you were drafted in the fifth round by Vancouver, like another Canucks defensive legend, Kevin Bieksa. So, I think it's a good, play, good, yeah. good time to go. Um, and then you were in the farm system in Chicago. Um, what was that team like? Because you were with Eddie Lack and um, Chris Tanev yeah. at points as yeah. well. Yeah, it was it was really fun, actually. Just being a young guy on that kind of team, there was a lot of really cool guys in that room, really fun guys to be around. And um, one of the things that sticks out for me about that group is they made going to the rink very enjoyable and especially for a young guy just coming up and and playing you know your first games in professional hockey they made a pretty pretty memorable pretty special experience and um there's just something about being the young guy around there that um you know you just you have a little bit of a a fun with it and you can kind of joke around and keep things light with the guys as as you know the way eddie (laughs) is and um, you know, we had, we had a good group there with Jordan Schrader and, and Kevin Connaughton. And there was, there was just a lot of really quality people. And, um, it was, you know, I just have, I have a lot of great memories of, you know, kind of getting called up to Chicago from junior as my season would finish. And, um, it was, it was one of those things where you're just, all you're doing is playing hockey, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you get called up, you're living in the hotel. There's other guys around you. All you're doing is you live breathe and sleep hockey and it was uh it was really fun um last one for me for now till chris can jump in because i feel like i'm monologuing um but yeah your kind of nhl debut was a little bit batman's baptism of fire because you were going into like the right at the end of the season and then into a like playoff which saw you guys on the wrong end of a playoff sweep so like what was the atmosphere yeah. like there and what was it like being the young guy in that sort of very serious yeah. dressing room? Yeah, it was, it, it was pretty crazy because I was in Chicago at the time and they just had a bunch of injuries up in Vancouver 
And I got a call to my hotel room, which doesn't really happen anymore because we all have right. cell phones and we're all just so connected that way. And I just thought maybe it was the front desk calling or something. And it was actually the, our coach in Chicago, Scott Arneal, calling. And um, he goes, hey, um, you were going to go up anyways to be a black ace, but they're going to need you a couple weeks early because they have a bunch of injuries and you're going to play on, on Monday against Chicago. You're going to actually get into a game. Um, and that was crazy. I couldn't believe the, you know, the, the phone call I had just got and called my parents and called some, some friends and, and told them. And, um, yeah, so I, I get there and, um, it, it was one of those things where it doesn't really kick in for a little while. Like you're almost naive to, to what the situation is and what's happening. And, um, you know, I got to do my, my solo lap and, you know, when you look out and, and warm up and you see Kane and Taves and Hosa and Keith and Seabrook and, you know, that's a, that's the Chicago yeah. team that ended up winning the cup that year. Um, that was, that was crazy. The fact that we, we won the game and, uh, it went really well. I think I played like 17 minutes that night. And, uh, I remember leaving that game thinking, okay, this, this league's, you know, not too hard, <laughs> right? You can, you can play in this league. I, I just think there was, there was a little bit of a belief there that, um, you know, it was, it was a great accomplishment, first of all, but there was a belief that, that I could play in that league. And, um, it was, it was, it was really, just the culmination of a lot of things over the course of your career, all the adversities that you go through, all the, the little milestones that you achieve along the way. And, and the fact that, you know, that, that day finally came to fruition was, was incredibly special. So being that it was so sudden, very unexpected, did you have many uh, friends and family able to, to make it out to that first game? No, we had nothing. I didn't have anyone there for the, the mm -hmm. first game, uh, just because it happened so quick. So we had another game a couple days later against Anaheim at home. So that was the game that we got my, my family out there. And, uh, that was, that was so cool for them. You know, like you think about your family and how much they, they sacrifice for you, um, over so many years, you know, for you to achieve your, your dreams as a hockey player. So for them to, to kind of, be there for that moment. It meant a lot to me and I'm, I'm sure it, it meant a lot to them as well. I can imagine. Yeah. I, I, you know, I obviously I have not lived that experience, but uh, just talking to, to those who have had their, you know, friends, family in the building, it's just, it's different. Um, it, it's almost a, and I don't, I don't want to discount it by saying it's like it's a reward, but it's like a thank you. Maybe is it's the, it's the sort of the ability to celebrate a hundred percent. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Like, you know, all the, all the hours that, that you spend in rinks, driving to rinks, summer hockey, spring hockey, um, you know, and even just for, for my family's sake, right? Like the, I can't tell you how many times my, my poor sister got dragged to hockey arenas when she probably didn't want to mm -hmm. be there either. Right. So you have to look at it that way. It's, it's, it takes a, a full team and, uh, I'm very grateful that, that they were able to, you know, to let me pursue my dreams. And, and that was, you know, that was a, uh, a great experience that, you know, we all got to be a part of together. Now, you know, from those, those few early games in NHL, being that it was a pretty, you know, easy league to, to play in as you had found in that first game. Uh, quote on quote, we say yes, that. I, am, <laughs> I, I, I definitely had the fingers going, you know, our listeners just couldn't see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in the conversations yeah. that you had in the course of that off season, was there a plan to, to get you back into the NHL? Was it like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have you actually, you know, start things out in the A or, or how'd that go? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think that was ultimately going to be up to how mm -hmm. I played. And there was a lot of moving parts that year as well with, um, Elaine and Rick bonus and Newell Brown moving on and, and torts and his staff coming in. Um, anytime a new staff mm -hmm. comes in, it's going to be mm -hmm. different and you're going to have to earn their, you know, their trust. And, um, but my, my exit meeting, um, following that training camp with torts, when he ultimately told me I was going to start the year in the minors was really good. He was happy with the way training camp went. And, um, he just kind of said like, you know, for a 20, 21 year old kid, you're, you're better off to go play in the minors rather than sit around here and, um, you know, play sparingly. And, um, I was, for sure. Cool with that. I think it was great that he even brought me in his office and talked to me about that. I thought that was great. And but that whole year, um, anytime I did get called up torts was awesome about just kind of keeping me in the loop as far as what's going on and what he expects from me. And, you know, sometimes it wasn't 
wasn't always mm-hmm. what I wanted to hear. It may, may have been a little more blunt than, than I may have thought, but I, I do, you know, I have a lot of respect for the way he, uh, you know, he handled me and, um, things obviously didn't work out for, for both of us in Vancouver, his, his demise coming a year earlier, but, um, it, uh, it was, it was a good year for me. Um, that first year, um, anytime I did get called up, I was in a game, you know, so I didn't get called up and sit around for two or three weeks and kind of watch games and and sit on the sidelines. And, um, I I thought that was great that, you know, anytime I was going up, I knew I was going to be used. And, and if I wasn't going to be used, it was, Hey, you're going right back to the minors. And, um, I got to play under Travis Green, who I thought is a really, really good coach and, uh, really helped me that season as well. Um, one last Honestly, question before I throw it back yeah, to Anna there. Tortorella, yeah. does he get a bad rap? Well, I mean, it depends who you mm-hmm. ask, right? Like if you just, if you just go by his media quotes or, or his scrums and, and what he says, maybe you'll find people who give him a bad rap. But if you talk to players who, who played for his teams, um, what they're probably just going to say is Torts is tough, but he's fair. He cares about his players. He cares about winning. Um, you know, can he can he sometimes fly off the handlebars? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that do, and there's a lot of coaches that play, you know, stupid head games with you at the same time. And Torts was never mm-hmm. that kind of guy. You know, he was very direct in what he wanted, what he expected from players, and uh, you know, may come across a little more blunt at times. But um, I think at the end of the day, as a player, you don't mind that. And um, you know, I, I don't know if he gets a bad rap from from players who who know him and have played yeah, with him. I, you know, I again from the outside, many players will say, "Oh, you know, yeah, I may not have seen eye to eye, but I knew that he and I didn't see eye to eye. Like I appreciated the fact he was direct." Um, yeah, and I think that's the thing players mm-hmm. want too, right? Like you you kind of understand fairly fairly early on if. if if it's not going to be a great situation. And listen, for a guy like me, I was never a, like a marquee player in that league by any stretch. I was always a fringe guy kind of just on, on, on the cusp of being in the league. So like I never had any kind of beef with anyone. I was just happy to be there and happy to be in the league. Um, so really whatever the coach says for me is mm-hmm. that's great. Like, let's do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of become clear that the fans have a very different perspective of torts than players. So you kind of, have to respect that and it's good to hear that he was very direct with you i'm not trying to like force you into saying something non-diplomatic about the canucks but like was it a tough situation when you were like canucks their farm team was in utica you you know there's no direct flights you're like what driving to syracuse mm-hmm. flying across the country every time you're called up and thrown into a game yeah. and that's a lot of pressure for someone trying to earn their spot it must have been a tough couple of years yeah, you know what? So, so the games that I would get called up and have to do the travel, you're, you're almost just running off adrenaline at that point. It, it was a little bit of a drag, just the, you know, the, the, the way the travel worked out. You'd have to get a car from Utica to Syracuse, fly Syracuse to Toronto, have a layover and then fly Toronto to Vancouver. It's, you know, it's not easy getting there, but Utica itself was awesome. The fans were amazing. The community was great. The, the the team treated us really really well it was a just an incredible place to play and we had a really uh really special group and we were able to go to a calder cup finals um you know ultimately would it make more sense for the the team to have their farm team close to home of course and and they have that now with abbotsford Mm -hmm. but um you know I, i don't think the the travel itself was ever um you know it was never really seen in a negative light it's just one of those things you're you're so happy um, that you got the call and you're getting to go up to the NHL that, you know, that could, that flight could be to Siberia and you'd, <laughs> you'd still be over the moon about it. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's like a great attitude to have, but like it's tough, like on the body for sure. Um, obviously things didn't wait, work out quite as like you or I had hoped in Vancouver went waivers. Um, Ending up in Toronto, like that's your boyhood club. Like, what was the moment there with your family when you kind of realized that that was eventually going to happen? Yeah, it was. It was crazy, actually. So my parents were on their 25th wedding anniversary down in California, and they had kind of planned it so that they would catch our games with Vancouver um, early in the season. Um, so that, that kind of didn't really work out. And so I was at my, uh, my Nona's house up in, up in Woodbridge and, 
uh, I'd found out that I was getting picked up by Toronto and she, she told like she followed my whole career. So she understood what was going on, which was awesome. So we had a, a great moment there in the, in the kitchen of her house. And, um, yeah, it was crazy that it was Toronto. I mean, and, 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 you know, when you look at the way things worked out, it probably, probably would have been better if it was a different team, uh, just with the way things played out there. But, you know, to, to be able to say that I lived out that, that dream of, of being a Maple Leaf and, uh, playing in my hometown city for, you know, however short it was or however, um, you know, I don't want to say controversial. It's probably the night, not the right word, but, uh, it was definitely was met with a lot of adversity and, um, it was, it was really cool nonetheless. Yeah. It, it's very cool that you had that sort of moment and experience. I mean, you've come across some tough coaches in your career, like Torts followed by Babcock, like, um, yeah, Torts and Babcock were different yeah. though. You know, like Torts, Torts was very direct. He, he told you exactly what he wanted. He told you exactly what he expected. Um, and ultimately at the end of the day, like anytime I've seen Torts around, you know, whether I was playing for Toronto or playing for Pittsburgh, the first thing we do is we shake hands and we bring it in. And there's, you know, I didn't even play for him that long. Like I only, I only played 15 games for Torts. Um, and you know, if, if that's the greeting you get, you know, I can't imagine guys like that played for him for years in New York. And I know he ran hot in New York. Like I definitely know mm-hmm. he, he ran those guys a little thin, but you know, you, you could see that there, there's an admiration there. There's a level of respect between the two parties. And, um, safe to say that not, not every coach mm-hmm. is like that in the league. There's, there's a lot of guys who like to play some, some head games with you. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's not, he's not that. He's, he's hard on you, but he's, um, he's very direct. Yeah. And weirdly enough, both of you kind of subject to social media campaigns of like free torts, <laughs> free Frankie. Free torts. When was when was he free oh, torts? Oh, when he got banned he, uh, for he, he yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he went to to exchange recipes yeah. with Calgary or something like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah he was a character for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, what a beauty. Honestly, tough time in like Toronto didn't work out, unfortunately. Um, but like you did end up going to Europe to sort of finish your professional career. You had some conversations, I understand, with the Sedines before you ended up in. Modo and yeah. what was that? Yeah, because like, yeah. well, it was, it was cool. So it was, it was the pandemic and there was a lot of uncertainty around um, a lot of the leagues, the AHL and a lot of the teams in Europe. And uh, this opportunity kind of came to light where I could go to Modo, a team that had just been relegated. It was trying to work its way back to the SHL. And um, it was a two-year deal. It was going to be one year. And then, you know, if we if we got promoted, there would be a second year attached to it. And um, the, the Twins were awesome. They were nice enough to, to take my call and answer some questions about the city and the team and what it's like there. And um, it really lived up to the to, to, to what they told me. It was, it's, um, you know, it, Moto is is the name of the team. The town is called Urschelnsbink, something like that. I, I don't know how to say it anymore. I, I practiced it try. when I got there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's that's that's not a bad way to say it. But, um, you know, when you think of all the great players that came from there and the Twins being two of them and Nasland and Forsberg and, you know, uh, Victor Olofsson's a guy in the league right now who's from there. Linus Allmark is another guy. Like, the when you really dive in and, um, you know, look at all the amazing players that have come from there. It's, it's crazy. And, and hockey so deeply embedded, um, in the, in the fabric of the culture there. And, um, it's a really, really cool place. Like right, right on the sea. I had a really cool apartment right on the water. Uh, the rink is, is situated there on the water as, as well. Um, and just the people there, they live and breathe hockey and they live for that team. And, um, you know, even though it was the pandemic and we weren't able to have, uh, full crowds, it was, you could feel that, like you could feel that energy and then in that town and, um, we weren't able to get promoted obviously, but I'm pretty sure they're having a great year this year. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like they're, they're probably the front runners to, to get promoted. And I'm sure Hank and Danny be, uh, pretty, pretty fired up to see that yeah. happen. Well, that's really cool to hear. Like, um, I think us NHL fans don't get much experience of like hockey in Europe and it's kind of like a whole yeah. different beast over there. Um, yeah, just fi- finally, because we've kept you far too long. Um, 
be great to hear about like how you transitioned into your like sort of media side of your career as yeah. an analyst, like how the first opportunity came about and where it's going. Yeah. So, I mean, I would do um, call in interviews every once in a while. Um, certain people would kind of request to, to do an interview. Um, when I got home from the KHL last year, I was rehabbing a hip injury and um, Leafs Lunch called. Um, the host there is a friend of mine, and, and he asked if, if I could do a hit just to talk about how the team's playing, what I'm seeing, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I guess it went pretty well because his producer called me uh, about the next week and asked if I would have any interest in co-hosting, uh, co-hosting a show. And uh, of course, I said yes because I had nothing else to do, and um, so I did a did a couple of those, and and that um, kind of snowballed into one of the TV producers calling asking if I had any interest in doing the CHL um, on TSN. It's a new property that TSN had had just gotten, and they were looking for an analyst to to try out, and so that was really fun because I got to work with a friend of mine, uh, Carlo Koliakovo, and and we had a great time doing those games on Friday nights, and. It was great to get those those reps under my belt, and um, then you know, like one thing leads to another, and I'm doing radio for the Leaf game, so I'm doing the pregame shows, the intermissions, and the postgame shows, and all of this is through TSN 1050 and um, in Toronto, and it just became something that I really enjoyed doing, and um, I, I kind of just said, listen, I'm available. Um, if, if you need me to do anything on the radio side, if there's opportunities on the TV side. And um, luckily for me, there was there was some opportunities. So I just kind of kept saying yes to everything that came my way. And and now we're sitting here almost, almost a year later and um, still doing the radio as much as I can, doing some overdrive, doing the Leaf games like I was uh, last year. And um, now I'm doing some panel work, so I'm doing some panels for the Habs, doing some panels for the Sens, and uh, some Jets stuff, doing Sports Center, just literally trying to do as much as I possibly can, get as many reps as I can, because A, I, I like it, it's fun, and um, I'm talking hockey anyways, so if I'm talking wa- talking hockey at home, I might as well, um, you know, have a camera and a microphone to, uh, you know, to kind of share share what I'm talking about. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you've always kind of struck me as someone thinks sort of critically about the game, so it's kind of cool to see that kind of play out. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with how much I want to post on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's where a lot of the people get roasted. Is you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you post something on Twitter, and you know, we we both know the way no, Twitter Twitter's can be. Fine, but, isn't it? Uh, for now, leaves Twitter yeah, also very yeah, casual, now, so it's fine. <laughs> Well, like we were talking about this too, like Leafs Twitter is, is, is something, but it, it's not quite Canucks Twitter. <laughs> Canucks Twitter is, is on a whole other level and, and people here in Toronto don't quite understand yeah. that. And, and I've, you know, we were talking about this on Overdrive once with, with, uh, Jeff O'Neill and, and Brian Hayes and, and me and the O-Dog were telling them like, no man, Canucks Twitter is a different beast. Like Leafs Twitter is one, one thing, but Canucks Twitter is, it's on a whole other level. Yeah, we're all too aware. I think it's just, it's just a smaller town, and I think people tend to get to know each other more. I don't know. In Vancouver, There's something special about it. I couldn't yeah, tell you. It's weird. I know we're well over uh, time. I I actually have one yeah. question. I think we'd be remiss not to ask. You were here um, on yeah. the first year of this current nine-year retool in Vancouver. Is it time for the rebuild? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was a retool when I was there. Would- um, I know there was a general manager I had who said that it's probably in everyone's best interest to to try and rebuild mm-hmm. the team, and uh, I think that got swatted away. Mm-hmm. And um, listen, you want it, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a rebuild. You can call it a retool. Ultimately, there just needs to be a plan, and players want to see a plan. Fans want to see a, pl- a plan, and. Like there's, there's just needs to be some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And if we do X, Y, and Z, we're going to be a sustainable team for a long time. And I think the fans are smart enough to buy into that. And, um, when, where friends, fans get frustrated is when they don't see that and they don't see the, you know, the, the long term, um, you know, the, the long term plan behind things. So, um, there's some good players. Like I've said this on SportsCenter many times because we've been talking about the Canucks a lot. There's some good players there. Um, there you need 
it, it feels like there's some different age groups of players, which is which is a little weird. You have a young nucleus up front, and then you have a couple older players, and then you have like this aging back end, and you have a really awesome young goaltenders. It, it just seems like a, a, a bit of a weird mishmash. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, listen, so I, I was in the organization for four years. I had three head coaches and two general managers and two different presidents. Uh, so it's, um, I, I'm sure, I, I'm sure there, at some point there needs to be a little bit of a, of a mm-hmm. what's next here. How, how are we going to get through this? And, um, you know, the, the there, there's there's certain organizations, whether it's hockey, baseball, basketball, football, they just seem to get it. You know, they just they understand that if they do things right for a couple years, they can have multiple years of sustained success. Um, and fans are smart in Vancouver. Like they have opinions, they have hot takes, but they also have facts, and they're they're very knowledgeable and uh, they know the game well. So they they can kind of sniff out when something doesn't smell right and. Um, I hope, you know, I, I like, I, I'm a Canuck alumni. It, it would be, it, it's great to see the, you know, it's great to see the fans have, have something to cheer for. And I remember watching the 2011 run like it was mm-hmm. yesterday. And, and I was one of those people who, who really, uh, felt captivated by that team and their, and their run to the finals. And I, I love the way they played. I love the way they did things. And for me, getting drafted by that organization was was really really cool because I knew I was going into something that was um, there was a certain culture and there was a, a certain way of doing things that was deeply ingrained there at the time. Yeah, cool. honestly, I think that call to action is a great place to leave it. So thank you so much, Frankie. Um, and yeah. All right, thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. You're listening to the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it in that? Because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder (laughs) Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Patterson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. He he's going to get a lot of power play time. And, yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. That was super cool. And I thought you did a very good job, Anna. I think, really, you should just take over hosting the show. Um... Yeah, I mean, peek behind the curtain, Chris just said right before we hit record, Anna, do you want to take over this one? And I was like, well, it does make sense for me to be taking over it. You probably weren't expecting me to just ask almost 99% of the questions, but uh, maybe you were. You did, you did a great job. And I mean, it, who else better to talk to Frank Corrado than arguably his biggest fan? Yeah, um, it was very cool to talk to him. He was had some interesting stuff to say about like his coaching, um, mm-hmm. maybe stuff he didn't say as well. Um, that was interesting too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, got some good insight. And also, if I wanted him to rant and rave about the Canucks and him getting treated badly, he obviously he wasn't going to do that. But yeah, that's okay. I, it was still a great conversation and yeah, maybe, maybe he can transform into friend of the show and return 
to another sh- episode later on in the season. Who knows? But yep. uh, it was pretty cool to have them on. Um, we didn't get to get into Vancouver in the current uh, uh, state too much. Um, obviously, he sort of uh, talked about uh, some things that I don't think are are too shocking. Um, I believe he's talked about it uh, on uh, on shows elsewhere, um, including actually local radio here. But uh, the point is that uh, I think his words hold true. This team needs to put together a plan, a plan that is more than day-to-day, which this current front office has allegedly moved away from and, uh, and execute as opposed to whatever's been going on the past nine years. I tried to sort of get him to like commit to the nine years. Is it now time to rebuild? But he, <laughs> he you know, he's wise to my, uh, he's wily. my Kung Fu. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's just a real reminder that like of all the kind of opportunities that Canucks have kind of turned down to make a real go of, rebuilding retooling whatever you want to call it and um we briefly talked before the show about jim rutherford's comment comments today they're pretty damning right from a president of um hockey like saying that like you shouldn't be losing the games you're losing with the players you have and if you're saying but at at the same token saying players must be held accountable Mm-hmm. But kind of the things, again, is the things you don't say, right? The things he didn't say was, I'm not blaming Bruce. In fact, it was kind of seems like he was, like, by sort of targeting the style of hockey Canucks are playing, yeah. um, which I think is fair. You know, it is. Maybe not in public, but... Yeah. To give the quote, just in case our listeners didn't catch it, yeah, um, he, he was on 650. He said, when you're winning at home 3 nothing, and you have the goaltender that we have and the players that we have, we should not lose that game. And then he went on further to say, there are certain players you can't trade because people aren't interested in them. I mean, maybe we're going to get... He shouldn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to take a look at trading one or two players that in the offseason we would have never considered doing. I mean, like JT Miller, maybe like they maybe shouldn't should have thought a little harder about whether re-signing him was a good idea. Um, honestly, I don't often agree with John Taylor, but when he said he can like complain all he wants, but a lot of his moves have been betting esque. I was like, damn, mm-hmm. damn, you're right, Don. Um, I will say that like I. Do you want to kind of back up that part about players being held accountable? I'm not absolving Bruce Boudreaux at all, but watching that third period um, from bird's eye view in the stands and watching players who are in good positions make the wrong choice over and over again. Like that's hockey IQ, that's hockey sense. And I don't know if like they're not being put in that situation in practice enough, but it was depressing to watch like the stupid hockey. Well, I think for me in what I see, it's an accountability issue, right? If you can argue that, okay, maybe it's a systems issue, a coaching issue. When then what happened year over year? Like did accountability suddenly no longer become a, 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 a even concept to, to talk about in this dressing room. Like, you know, I, I think back to, you know, a few weeks back when you had Shen getting into it with Miller and up to that point, I mean, it was very obvious that Miller wasn't provide if he was providing a hundred percent, it was a hundred percent in maybe 90% of the time, right? Like there were moments where he would coast, he wouldn't, you just be there like a, you could throw a pylon out and, and arguably there wasn't going to be any difference on the ice. That's not Miller. Miller is not a pylon, but it's very easy for any player to become that if they're not accountable to what they need to do in the moment. Now, why is this the way? I, I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe is it Bruce? He's just too nice. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it is doesn't it an attitude? seem likely. Well, I mean, think nice. back to what, 
what, you know, Frank just said at the end of his interview, like it's, he, he described the dressing room as being very weird in the sense that you have all of these sort of different sort of groups and generations and you have young kids, sort of an older veteran group, another, like it's, and it, it, it harkens back to when he was talking about coming up through the organization where there was these core groups of like players within the same sort of era, they would come in. And I mean, we think back to the, the period of time that the Vancouver Canucks had in, in the Gillis years where you had a, a very veteran group that existed, a young core come and grow in them. See how you were supposed to play. And that core was what that made the 2011 run possible. And then we started to see some of that sort of, move on to another young core. But the thing was, is there wasn't a young core. It was a constant, let's bring in all of these disparate pieces, parts, and jags. And we're, we're there. The window's still open, man. The window's still open. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think it's a problem to have a sort of mix of ages if you're at a stage in your development where, like, you're pushing for the cup. So, like, having someone JT Miller's age or even, like, mm -hmm. Um, a couple of years older, we like, that's fine. If you're about to like make a cup run and then you kind of need that mix of ages. Um, yeah. but it's not a good spot to be in if you're that far away. Well, I mean, here, here's a fair question. If we were to talk about a transitional period where a proverbial torch is passed from one group to another, we saw a torch get passed sort of from that Sedin core and what was left to it to the young core that was present at that moment. That young core is Bo Horvat, maybe Brock Besser to some respect. Yeah, sure. I guess you could argue, argue maybe Demko, but I feel like we don't talk about that. Yeah. We don't talk about as the young core anymore. That, that is now the, this veterans so like there's this transition of torch that went to a group that isn't quite there yet. And yet somehow the previous management regime and to some respect, the current management regime is like, Oh yeah, no, totally. We are like it, to what Donnie said seems, you know, very Ben and Esca to what to Rutherford and Alvin have been up to. And it's hard to say no. Yeah. I mean, you are a hundred percent right on like that analysis of, um, Bo and Brock, like being that sort of, pass the torch onto them and the problem was instead of like building up players around them like um younger players players of the similar ages and experience and then maybe a couple of older players um you know kind of in the like mold of luke shen you know um mm -hmm. those sorts of players instead of doing that like the canucks continually invested in overplayed project overpaid overplayed yeah. project players and you know like this is not to knock on like even ryan miller like as a goalie signing he was great for vancouver but was it a brave thing to do no like what if they had put eddie lack and markstrom in there it would have been a tough year they were pretty mm -hmm. young at that time but like just those sorts of moves you need needed to be a little braver and they weren't yeah. And you know how it sort of works out is the brave moves would have been maybe like paying Markstrom to stay, not to suggest that was the right play at the time. Calgary had far much, far more money than Vancouver Canucks had going for them. And let's be honest, Calgary as a team was actually in a better place than Vancouver was at the point of let's put Markstrom into the situation that we, we have here. Um, but, you know, bringing it back to sort of the current situation in the team, the week that was, was very inconsistent. You had the, the loss against the Devils, which really wasn't good Canucks hockey. You've got juice night, which, uh, boy, did they have the juice in the third period. And then the game on Saturday where it seemed like Vancouver had it in the bag and they lose in the shootout. I mean, if there was, if there was one moment that is the epitome of how that game went. It was Bo Horvat's shootout attempt. This is not a knock against Bo, but yeah, that's, that's how the Canucks third period and ultimately game, uh, game yeah. played out. Honestly. Yeah. That was a kind of the epitome of the night. I like, again, yeah, Bo was one of the bad players on the night. Um, in general, he was making smarter decisions than a lot of people on the puck. Mm -hmm. um, even though I memed him into oblivion for one dumb move he made. But, you know, overall, he was one of those smarter people. But, like, Canuck should have been way ahead before Nashville even started yeah. scoring. Yeah. 
But uh, it doesn't bode well that you've you've had this inconsistent homestand. You essentially, uh, you know, soiled the bed on your last game. <laughs> yep. And then you head out on your Eastern road swing where tomorrow night they take on the senators or tonight, depending on when you're listening, followed by the Habs the night uh, after uh, they get a couple of nights off to either enjoy um, La Belle Provence or to hang out in uh, the six, but they're in Toronto for Saturday, Boston on Sunday. So you got two back to backs uh, and then uh, they end up in Buffalo for uh, a Tuesday night game before coming to a, a two game homestand before they're, uh, they're back on the road again. Uh, this road trip isn't, you know, going to be an easy one for Vancouver. I mean, you know, looking at the, who they're playing, um, the senators are kind of where the Vancouver Canucks are right now. The Habs have been pretty inconsistent, uh, but Toronto is doing well. Boston is. Yeah. Maybe not, you... <laughs> not doing so well on off the ice, but, um, no, true. But I mean, Boston. it's, it, yeah, it's as if the Bruins were like, you know, what can we do to take the heat off uh, our hot start? Um, but the the fact remains, Vancouver has a tough road trip. Um, and there are two sort of possible ways that this can go. And they're very obvious. Is that the team comes together, they go out on the road, they persevere, they come home with some confidence and some momentum. Or uh, Vancouver comes home and big change occurs. Because at this point, if this is a bad road trip, I... I I don't think it's unfair to suggest that the team is needing to hit a reset button. Yeah. I mean, like it or not, like it doesn't really matter where the teams are in the standings. Toronto and Boston are always going to be huge, like headline grabbing big games, especially for the fans. Like that Boston game, like it doesn't matter that Boston are overall a much better team than Vancouver. Like Canucks hate losing to them. Um, yeah. And hopefully and just, the players go in with that attitude that like yeah. these are two huge games for the fans and maybe for the whole organization. Yeah. And you know, for anyone here who's listening, like, oh, it's so negative. Well, the Vancouver Canucks will be almost a quarter of the way through the, the season. And if this road trip does not get them positive points, like they they can't just come home with with a five hundred road trip. Because a five hundred road trip does not get get them anywhere near, you know, their their goal of being a successful team. If they they're going to come home sub four hundred on a bad road trip, like that, that's yeah. that's not a good place to be in a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah, anything can happen, but I would like to think that the Vancouver Canucks uh, current management group would see this. They would hit a reset button, and then hey, if that reset results in a, an improvement similar to what happened last year, fine. But it can't be a oh, we're just one piece away from being a cup contender. It's got to be a full reset. Yeah, because like. Think about what you just said, like the fact that it worked last year, but that was a year ago and we're already in a bad situation again. It's not mm -hmm. Bruce doing this. Like it, it wasn't Travis Green, like ruining this team. Like whatever you think of those coaches, like you can think that they could do better. I'm sure like they're not perfect. They could. But yeah, it's this team. Like we can't just keep like putting band-aids over bullet holes. But despite the sort of dark clouds over the Vancouver Canucks, um, we had already alluded to it. Uh, the Boston Bruins decided that the NHL and, or more specifically their organization, um, ha could see the light and decided that that was bad. Sun is bad. Bring in the dark clouds. And they went out and decided that it would be a good idea to sign a player, um, in Mitchell Miller and believe that. He has been rehabilitated and we will help with this rehabilitation and he will become a better player. And we as a good organization are doing it out of the kindness of our hearts. Yeah. I mean, it really sounds familiar, doesn't it? To um, when the house are drafting Logan, my lots of promises mm -hmm. about rehabilitation and we're going to support that rehabilitation, but no actual concrete ways they could say that he had changed or, um, what those like continued rehabilitation efforts would look like. Um, yeah, honestly, it's I should sucks. point out Mitchell Miller is the, the kid that was drafted by the Arizona Coy Coyotes, Coyotes who then deselected who, him. Yeah. I mean, it, they ended up vacating the pick, um, themselves. 
Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm summarizing and not doing any justice, but not only was this kid convicted of a crime, the crime was outright bullying. And you could, ar- I mean, I'm going to argue assault of, of a particular individual, another kid in his school for years. Yeah. And, and the way the Bruins tried to put it is like, well, he made one mistake. No. Yeah, this was a ongoing campaign of harassment against a um, person with disabilities. And um, also another angle that people were talking about a lot of the last few days is it was a black kid and there was definitely an like element of racism to that harassment as well. Um, not only did he make that one mistake going over several years, he never apologized to the family, which apparently the family repeatedly asked for and kind of said at one point like that that's was their primary thing they wanted. And um, some of his like the only efforts I can see at rehabilitation were court ordered, um, which, by the well, way, does not count. As well no, as like the, the only communication that has ever been made to the victim was a court ordered letter and that's it. No further attempts. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to give the kid a pass, but if the kid came out and said, I don't, I honestly don't know what I can say or do. I would like to, you know, and like have this, I don't know what to do. Can, can you tell me, can you help me? Like, I want to, what, what type of, cause you know, I, 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 I would be willing to concede. I don't know how you come back from everything that he had done and apologize in any way, shape or form that would ever be sufficient. Like, I don't think there's going to be ever an apology or an action that can make up the harm that he inflicted over the course of many years. Yeah. But he didn't, and, it wasn't even that it wasn't even like, I don't know how to, it, it was simply a, Hey, look at all these organizations we're going to work with. And he has spoken to and, and all that. Well, that's great. Um, what about the victim? Yeah. I mean, as you said, like, some of the organizations that were named um, have come out and said they have had no contact uh, with Mitchell. Mendel, well, that's so. yeah, that's also not a good look. Um, I will. I mean, I'm no expert. Say, I did read a tw- tweet that was just saying, you know, like for all the people saying, like, does he not deserve a second chance? Like, his second chance was continuing to play hockey, was continuing to be like a normal kid, um, a hockey player of some repute, like. That's mm-hmm. your second chance. You don't get to just play in the NHL. Um, but he made just one mistake, Anna. Yeah. So it's just yeah. another slap in the face for all our friends. Um, if you like, haven't seen our good friend Chanel Keenan's um, video, like I'm not sure if she posted it publicly or just to a select few people, but it was actually heartbreaking to watch. And I think it's just a constant reminder how if you're a fan of like a fan of color, if you're a female fan, if you are a like fan with disabilities, um, hockey, just like the game does not care about you. No, but it's also, I mean, reinforcing something that you and I have said time and time again on the show, these, these teams who try to put themselves in a position of being progressive and having, having done a lot of reflection and, and a deep dive into issues are either one lying through their teeth or two completely oblivious that not only are they not part of the solution, they are continuing to be part of the problem because the Boston Bruins tried to play this off after, after Gary Bettman is made to look good by the situation in saying that, Oh, no, this kid ain't going to be able to play in the NHL, nor has the team asked us about this. Commissioner of the AHL said something very similar. But the Bruins like, oh, there was new things came to light. No, nah, man, it's all it's all been in the light of day. Yeah, like yeah. I think it was, you know, friend of the show, Sam Chang, who said, like, look at what you can find on Google. Yeah, like they just got called out on it. And I'm sure they the backlash was just more than they predicted. Um which is telling in itself. Um, yeah, so it's not a case of all's well that ends well. Mitchell Miller had no. his contract offer rescinded, but like we saw what you did. Like everyone yeah. saw you. Yeah. I mean, and this is even us not even getting to the fact that the NHLPA seemed to be interested that the NHL would not allow for the player to be eligible. I get that the PA 
from a purely, hey, the league's not following the CBA as we feel it should be followed, has an obligation to speak up. I don't know if they have to do that publicly, for one. And I don't know if they... It wasn't even a, like, situation where, like, yes, definitely should have been something you checked into before you signed a player, whether he can actually play. But, like, it's not like he was about to make his NHL debut. So, um, yeah, the whole situation And considering what was coming out of the dressing room from the Bruins after the fact, um, I, I wish players would speak up much more clearly and loudly before um there are but more yeah, few unhappy. yeah um like you know akima leo is someone that comes to mind as having sort of spoken up um but that's that's not unusual for him um but again you know what it's just exhibit triple q as right. to what is wrong with hockey hockey culture and and how far the the sport you and i enjoy talking about sometimes has to has to continue to to proceed yep anywho um anything else any other bits and bobs odds and ends no i think that's it um really enjoyed that episode really enjoyed our chat with frank um less less so enjoy talking about hockey culture sucking but it's got to be done yeah um if you would like to hear a, another former Canuck or anything to do with the Canucks join us. Um, first of all, let us know like, Hey, this would be a pretty cool person, but also understand we need a, a connection, a means to reach out. Um, uh, myself, Anna, we have no problem trying to, to build that bridge and make that connection. Um, it's just that sometimes we're not aware of, of who might be available or how to get in touch. Uh, in, uh, regards to, to Frank Corrado. Yeah. As Anna mentioned, something I noticed is a, Hey, maybe we can, you know, shoot our shot. Um, yeah. And it has to be said with, like that, you know, he was kind of aware of who we are. That helped. So a little bit of an existing relationship sort of. Um, yeah. so, but we appreciate it. On. With Aaron, I mean, Aaron was a was a connection. Uh, someone had reached out and 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 sort of made that introduction, and then we took it from there. So we'd be happy to have others uh, others on, and it doesn't have to be Canucks, obviously. Um, as you know, with our show, we love talking to just all sorts of different voices. Some you hear, um, but we also love talking to the voices that maybe you don't hear a whole lot of. Mm-hmm. So please recommend anyone that uh, you might think we'd be interested in. Uh, speaking of recommendations, any idea where someone might be able to recommend potential guests to us, Anna? Well, you'd have to get in touch with us. What ways can you do that? You can tweet us. We're at the C4 Podcast. We are also at the C4 Podcast on Facebook. Um, but if you want to talk to us, if you want to talk to our other listeners, like get involved in the conversation about C4, whether it is to recommend a guest to us or complain about the team or tell us we're too negative about the team or post a picture of your dinner. All of these options um, are open to you if you join us on Discord. Um, We're at discord.io forward slash C4 podcast. And honestly, like Discord is sometimes like the saving grace throughout the Canuck season. So please come on and enjoy the group therapy. Yeah. Um, also feel free to contribute to an episode by leaving us a voice message. Uh, I made a call to action last week. It didn't unfortunately seem to result in any action. Uh, but you can drop us uh, a message by going to, uh, a, uh, a little website called speakpipe.com slash C4 podcast, uh, from your uh, computer, from your phone, go there, record a message. It's saved. We get it. We include it. We can answer any questions you might have, and uh, we will do so. I'm thinking I might put together a, you know, self-promotional commercial spot that we can insert into the show, asking for people to do this and reminding them maybe earlier on, maybe people aren't getting to this point of the show to understand that they can do that. I don't know. I would like Uh, to hear another voice. Yeah. Honestly, we love guests, but we also love to hear directly from our listeners. So that would be cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, any final words of wisdom for uh, all our listeners who are still tuning in? Uh? Hashtag free Frankie. <laughs> Not hashtag free torts. That that one's oh, that, that freed. Yeah. I mean, they both got freed um, in a way, but you know. True, true that. Retrospectively. Uh, my, 
Yeah. My final words is, uh, you know, throw on those, those flannels, the sweats, whatever to stay warm. Cause it's getting cold out there. And I know our listeners who might be from an area that is not the Pacific Northwest are like, you don't call that cold. That's not cold. It's a wet cold. It hits different. <laughs> I could be outside in Calgary in like negative 10 and I wouldn't be wearing a jacket. But here, once it gets to single digits, my goodness, I can feel it down to my soul. Yeah. Honestly, it was a very cold weekend into um, start of the week, but the mountains looked beautiful this morning. So I will take mm. that. I enjoy those winter sort of sunshine mornings. Yeah, those are great. It's the, why is it not snowing? How can it be possibly this cold and still have rain from the sky days? Those are the ones I do not like. Yeah. Do not like but uh, anyhow on behalf of anna forsyth a forsyth zero three myself chris at light force signing off this episode with we out <laughs>